We have uh, an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage tonight as we close out our study through the Heidelberg Catechism. Psalm 115, Pew Bible, page 954, is our Old Testament scripture passage. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through 22, Pew Bible, page 1795, is our New Testament scripture passage. Starting with the reading in Psalm 115, before we read, we pray with me. Heavenly Father, enlighten us by your Spirit. Lord, may you use your word as a means of grace in our life, that we may, through your word, accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, have a revelation of who you are and Jesus Christ to us, that you may enliven our prayer lives because of who we see you to be in your word, but also because how your word shows us how much you care for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 115, hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their hope and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their hope and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Psalm 115, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 22. Pew Bible, page 1795. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you and the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also looking at Lord's Day 52 in the back of your green Psalter hymnals in the Heidelberg Catechism on page 63 in the back. Page 63 in the back. We already looked at the first question and answer in Lord's Day 52. And so, to conclude our, our uh, study through the Heidelberg Catechism tonight, we're going to be looking at question and answer 128 and 129. Uh, I will ask questions and we can read the answers together with one voice. What does your conclusion to this prayer mean? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever means we have made all these requests of you because as our all-powerful king, you not only want to, but are able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. What does that little word amen express? Amen means... This is sure to be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. That's the teaching of the catechism. Uh, A.W. Tozer, a uh, modern American theologian, once said that the most important thing about us the most important thing about us is uh, is how we think about God. This is what he wrote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So this is Tozer's thesis. That the most important thing about us is what we think about God is our mental image of God, how small or how big our God is. Or more importantly, 
how close our mental image or a concept or idea of God, the way we think about God, is to how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And this is important in the conversation about prayer because how we think about God, who we believe God to be, is going to inform the way we pray. The fervency of our prayers, how much we ask of God, if we think he is able to do little, will not be much. But if we think he is able to do everything or anything, and what is impossible to us is possible to him, it would change the trajectory of our prayers, would it not? And so that's Tozer's suggestion. The most important thing about us is what we think about God. Our theme tonight, in Christ, since we always pray in Christ, in his name, and by his spirit, we pray knowing God hears our prayers. And is not only able, yeah, I know, it's kind of a long one tonight. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of a way to, to answer, but willing. Now that I'm reading it out, I could have put, in Christ we pray knowing God hears us and is able and willing to answer. That would have shortened it a little bit, but... Not by much. In Christ, we pray, knowing God hears our prayers and is not only able to answer, but willing. Okay? And then we have two points. Able to answer. And I almost put able like this morning because I've been thinking about Cain and Abel. Able to answer is point number one. Point number two is Listening intently. I am on a struggle bus tonight, guys. Listening intently. Able to answer and listening intently. Okay, so let's look at this first point tonight. Lord's Day 52 says, what does your conclusion to this prayer mean? If all of you are pretty comfortable with the way that we have recited the Lord's Prayer in the church, it ends with, for thine is the kingdom and the, glory, and the power and the glory forever. This is an ending to the prayer that got tagged on to what the scripture says because it became such a common practice in the church to end the prayer in this way that it eventually got put into the scripture itself because someone went to copy the Bible and they said, somebody forgot the ending that we always do in church service. And so they wrote in, for thine is the power, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And so what we need to understand about the, the traditional ending to the Lord's Prayer 
is that it's not actually what Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but that what it says is still true nonetheless. The declaration, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is much like many other doxologies that we find in scriptures. It is a declaration of praise to God. It's an ending of prayer that declares to God that he's the one who's able to answer. And that's why we read Psalm 115. Psalm 115 does two things that come in line with this declaration, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The first is that it declares that God alone deserves glory. In fact, I've had many people come up to me recently and ask, what does the HGA mean on my face mask? And that's what it means. His glory alone. God's glory alone. God alone deserves glory. Psalm 115 begins with this declaration. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever is saying the same thing. Humanity, all of humanity could declare this statement in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Because your love is perfect love. Because you are love. Because your faithfulness is unending. Your faithfulness is not broken. Your faithfulness is perfect. But Psalm 115 does another thing, too. It declares this. God alone is God. And it does so by comparing God to so-called false gods. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Well, of Israel, they say, our God is in heaven. And he does whatever he pleases. He is the sovereign God. He's the real God. He's the heavenly God. And he cannot be boxed into these little idols of silver and gold made by the hands of men. And unlike our God, who's in heaven and does whatever he pleases, these little idols of gold and silver... Well, they have mouths, yeah, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. Hands, but they can't feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. They can't make a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. The nations worship gods that cannot do anything. They don't speak, they don't hear, they don't see. But God is alone God. 
His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is we who will extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So what does our conclusion to this prayer mean? It means we have to have a big idea about God. It means that prayer is prayer when it's at its most powerful when we, we have a big God, a powerful God, the God alone who deserves glory, the God alone who is God. Prayer is at its most powerful when we pray knowing God hears our prayers and is not only able to answer but willing. We have made all these requests of you, God, because as our all-powerful king, you not only want to but are able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. The conclusion to this prayer is a reminder of who we're praying to. It's much like what we do in our services when we do a declaration of trust. When we say our help is in the name of the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, we are reminding ourselves of who we are putting our trust in, who it is. It's the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God alone who deserves glory, the God alone who is God, the God alone who is powerful enough to be able to listen to every single one of our prayers simultaneously and answer them without fault, without mistake, without messing up. He's able to answer, and he's willing. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Falls right in line with what A.W. Tozer is saying. The most important thing about us is the way we think about God. If when we think about God, we think about idols made of silver and gold, who have mouths but don't speak, eyes but can't see, ears but cannot hear, then our prayers will be like that. But if when we think about God, we think of the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, the one who is alone worthy of all the glory, honor, and praise, the one who is in heaven and does whatever he pleases, The one who created everything and is sovereign over everything and providentially ordering all events so that they will, at at the final moment of history, declare that he is God and he is worthy of praise and worship, then that will inform the way you pray. When you declare in your prayer, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, And the glory forever. You remind yourself of the God you're praying to. And you're reminding yourself of where you stand. It's not your kingdom. It's not your power. It's not your glory. (coughs) It's the Lord's.
Let's move to the second point then. Listening intently. I love how the catechism ends. It says, what, did this, what does this little word, amen, mean? I love how it ends because I think often for us who grew up in the church, who have been acclimated to Christian culture and community who have heard from since we were very little prayers offered to God through Jesus Christ and heard those words amen at the end of every prayer we probably don't think about what the word actually means we just assume that it's the formal ending to a prayer it's the end of the prayer that informs you that now you can finally go get in line and get something to eat How would you know that the prayer was over unless somebody said amen? That's what it's there for, right? The catechism asks us to think about this. What does that little word amen mean? What does it express? If you read the Gospels... And you see Jesus speaking, and a lot of times he'll say at the beginning of his statements that are important that he wants to draw attention to, he'll say, truly, truly, the translation says, truly, truly. Um, But underneath that translation is the word that we have grown accustomed to meaning the the end of a prayer, the close of a prayer. Amen, amen. Amen. And sometimes it's fun, too, to, to figure out, is there, a pro, is there an appropriate time when you're supposed to say amen instead of amen? How does that work? Because sometimes I think in songs, you know, we should say amen because it sounds cooler when we're singing it. But then when you're just talking and you're around the table, amen sounds okay. I, it's just an interesting thing to think about. With some churches you go to and they'll do the Apostles' Creed and they'll say amen at the end and you'll be like, we say amen. Amen, amen. Either way, that's an aside. Tuck that away and think about it some other time. Amen means, this word means, this is sure to be. This is sure to be. And that's important because oftentimes when we say amen at the close of our prayer, we're not thinking about what we're doing. Amen at the close of our prayer is actually a declaration of faith in God. It's a declaration of faith of what it is that we've prayed for that will be for our good. It will be sure to be. It'll truly happen. It'll truly come about. This is sure to be. Amen, amen. 
And it might be important to get a little context on what this word amen means if we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that passage that I drew your attention to as our second passage today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through 22 might seem like, how are we, how does this fit in here, Carrie, on this discussion about amen? Well, Paul had a desire to go and to visit many of his churches that he planted. It was not always the Lord's will that these things would come about. And so Paul is being criticized by the Corinthian church because he mentioned in the previous letter that he intended to visit them and then was not able to. And so the criticism to the, that was coming about Paul was that, um, you know, he just, he doesn't really mean what he says. He's not true to his word. And that's why Paul goes into this conversation. This is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We've done not, not done so according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. If we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul is reasoning with the Corinthian church, and he's saying, we've done nothing but what is righteous and good by you. We have not mistreated you in any way. We have not given you any reason to think wrongly of us, and we will boast of you on that day, and we pray that on that day you will boast of us as well. And in verse 15, he goes on then, because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. It wasn't able to happen. The Lord did not ordain it to happen. And so Paul asks a question. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? It's a rhetorical question. Paul's saying, I don't make any plans lightly. In fact, if you read of Paul's journeys, he will, uh, you'll read that, that he had a desire to go to this certain place and preach the gospel, but the Spirit kept him from going to that place to preach the gospel there. And instead, on that night, he had a dream about going, come to us, to Macedonia, to preach the gospel. And, and Paul had his answer. The reason why the Lord kept him from going to this place was because the Lord intended for him to go to this place. And he continues, or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? Paul is defending himself to the Corinthians. He's saying, I'm a man of my word. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. It's not this mixed message. It's not this message of uncertainty. Remember, amen and amen means this is sure to be. It's an expression of certainty. So he goes on. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, he was not a yes and a no. The message of Christ is not an uncertain message. The message of Christ is not a maybe. It's not a yes and, and sometimes a no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God 
who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put a spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? And Paul is saying that yes and amen are synonyms. And that in Christ, all the promises that we pray to God about, God, you've promised this, please, will you provide this? Will you give this? Will you give this to me? Will you provide this for me? You've promised this in your word. They are all yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Think about that. When you say amen... At the end of your prayer, what you are saying is, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so we, through him, speak the amen to the glory of God. Amen is much more than just the customary way to ensure that everyone who is listening knows that you've ended your prayer. It is the declaration that all promises have been answered in Jesus Christ and that God deserves the glory for it. The Catechism says this is sure to be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer and that I really desire what I pray for. You know what the catechism is saying here? It's saying that when you say amen, you are declaring that you know that the Lord is listening intently and desires to give you what you pray for more than you actually want it. If question and answer 128 is a declaration about how we think about God. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Then what I would say is question and answer 129 are doing the opposite. They are expressing to us what God thinks about us. Remember at the beginning of our sermon tonight, I told you A.W. Towser said that he believed what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. C.S. Lewis disagreed. He said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. He continues, by God himself, it is not. 
how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. So it is. The catechism ends with the words, it's even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. It's declaring. But not only is it important what we think about God, but it's also important what God thinks about us. In the most wonderful and magnificent revelation that there could be, is that when God thinks of us, his children, comforted believers who have true faith in Jesus Christ, he is delighted. What is man that you are mindful of him? The glory of prayer is not only that us little creatures of the dust can speak to an almighty God, the creator of the universe, and bring our requests before him because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. That alone is unimaginable in its wonder. But the splendor and the beauty and the privilege of prayer is even beyond that. It's that the creator of the universe listens to us. Loves to hear us come to him with our needs. And desires to give us what we ask for more than we want it ourselves. And if you can't see the wonder and the amazement of prayer and knowing those things, I don't know what to tell you. In Christ, we pray, knowing God hears our prayers and is not only able to answer, but willing. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would increase our faith that we may know that when we come to you in prayer,
You, the creator of the universe, you hear us because of the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, because you have adopted us, you call us your son, your daughter. You love us as your own. We pray, Lord, that we would know that as we pray to you, we've made all these requests because as our all-powerful king, you not only want to, but are able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. As we utter our amen to you, Lord, may we know that it is even more sure that you listen to our prayer than we really desire what we pray for. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.